the future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another edition of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We have uh, had a number of programs that are looking at the nature of archaeological organizations and how they function not only in the United States and North America, but all, all over the world. Our previous programs have focused, uh, one program has focused on the World Archaeology Congress. We had a program about that about five weeks ago where we looked at international per, uh, perspectives on how archaeology is being performed and what some of the major issues are. And we also had a program about three months ago, if memory serves me correctly, on the Archaeological Institute of America, which is one of the oldest archaeological organizations in the world. And today's program is probably uh, is is dealing with with the archaeological organization that I think probably has the broadest reach in the professional community and is now extending itself in a much larger perspective uh, to, to the general public because of the general thrust of where archaeology has been going. Uh, this is the Society for American Archaeology. And with me today are the two people who are driving this organization uh, for the next year or so. Uh, Toby Brimsek is the executive director for the Society of American Archaeology and has had that position for 17 years. She uh, received her bachelor's degree from Goucher College, a master's degree from the University of Michigan, and a, ma a master of science degree from uh, Catholic University. Toby Brimsek has been the longest serving executive director in the history of the organization and as such she is more familiar with the uh, inner workings of that organization than anybody has before her. 
Uh, Jeff Altschul is the current president for the Society for American Archaeology. He is uh, chairman of the Board of Statistical Research Incorporated, one of the largest uh, for-profit cultural resource management firms uh, headquartered in Redlands, California. Uh, Jeff created SRI in 1981-83 and served as its president until, until the end of 2004. Um, Jeff is a nationally recognized expert in the development use of art and use of archaeological predictive modeling, and his company is very, very large. A, one of, as I said before, one of the largest in the country, and he has worked. It has worked for. Uh, Clients as uh, diverse as the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Air Force, Bureau of Land Man Management, a variety of different private organizations, the Navajo Nation, Arizona Department of Transportation, and a variety of, uh, of major um, state and national agencies in addition as to, as I said, the private sector. Uh, Jeff is currently the president as well of the Register of Professional Archaeologists, and he sits on the Arizona Governor's Archaeological Advisory Council. Uh, Jeff and Toby, I want to welcome you both to the program. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Joe. So let me start with you, Jeff, uh, since you're the newly elected president of the organization and you certainly have a broad bird's eye view of what this organization means and how it's evolved. Can you give us a little bit of background on the history of the Society of American Archaeology? Sure. The Society for American Archaeology, or as it's known to its members, the SAA, um, first started in 1934, at the, basically at the height of the Depression. And one of the major problems that faced American archaeology then was that, unlike the rest of the country, which was not doing anything, uh, American archaeology was booming. And part of that was a decision on the part of the Roosevelt administration to use archaeology as a means of creating jobs. So um, it was, uh, there were many programs, including the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, the CCC, um, that um, got involved with uh, defining projects and then using surplus labor to, uh, to excavate. And as a result, there were just, there weren't enough archaeologists in the country to supervise them, or so it seemed, and they certainly couldn't talk to each other uh, efficiently. You know, prior to 1930s, archaeology was pretty much an old boys club, and most of them were male, although there were some major exceptions. And the, there was more formal communication, you know, uh, written record, things like that, letters, etc. That that archaeology was done in a relatively slow, uh, you know, sort of comfortable time frame, and and the. Depression really sort of changed all that because you had all this work going, uh, being conducted uh, and sponsored by the federal government, and people were finding all sorts of new things. 
and they needed a way to communicate to each other. And the SAA was the main forum for American, in this case U.S., based archaeologists to get together and basically show each other once a year uh, what they found. And they also uh, formed a uh, journal called American Antiquity, which provided a venue for publication. So that's the way it started. I think it's fair to say that after the war, um, it became more of an academic-based institution. Most uh, archaeologists trained in the United States, trained in an a, um, anthropological uh, department or, or ba- you know, framework, uh, joined the SAA. Those that did classical archaeologists, classical archaeology um, largely joined the Archaeological Institute of America. And so that's how it was divided up for, for many years until uh, the end of the 1960s. Uh, and still we're talking about very small numbers. You know, uh, I don't know exactly how many, but, you know, 500 or so in the 50s up to maybe 1,500 or so uh, at the end of the 60s in terms of membership. And most of the, pra- most of the practicing archaeologists in the country, my guess is, were SAA members. That is, if they were in a department of anthropology. Uh, the end of the 1960s, as your show has uh, demonstrated on many occasions, was when major environmental um, uh, laws were passed, landmark laws, the National Historic Preservation Act, and then the uh, uh, National Environmental Policy Act, or what's known as NEPA, along with others. And this led to what is known as cultural resource management. And uh, over time, uh, the membership of the SAA became much more diverse. And also, you know, American archaeology or U.S. archaeology has long had a fascination with uh, the rest of the Americas. Mesoamerica, the Mexico, and, and Middle America, and then in uh, South America. And uh, <clears throat> many Latin Americanists are, are members of the SAA. That is the home organization. And so uh, by 1990, there was the need for another journal. Uh, so we had American Antiquity, and then in 1990, Latin American Antiquity started, which was a English and Spanish professional journal uh, focused on, on the Americas, uh, Latin America. And uh, there has been an increase as uh, Latin American countries have developed their own tradition of archaeology. Many archaeologists that live, work, were born in Latin America now are uh, in increasing numbers joining SAA. And uh, so that's been a major thrust of ours uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, so 
you know, essentially we sort of have a number of pillars. We have the academic archaeologists that, that began in an anthropological department or anthropological background. We have the cultural resource management uh, archaeologists uh, that practice largely in the United States. And then we have a large number of uh, both academic archaeologists in the U.S. practicing in Latin America and Latin American archaeologists uh, from their home countries. And, of course, the third pillar or fourth pillar is the students of all of those. So, uh, and Toby can give you the actual numbers uh, of our membership. Um, so basically what you're saying, Jeff, is you basically reconstructed sort of the entire history of, uh, of the SAA, which, which I think you've done very, very well. I mean, we are looking from, and this is an interesting observation, I think, that a lot of listeners uh, might be uh, drawn into, that essentially it started out, if I read you correctly, with uh, basically being sort of a loose collection of professionals, avocationalists between the Depression and the war uh, for about, say, 12, 13 years. Then all of a sudden there was a fluorescence of academic archaeology that lasted, say, between 45 and 70. And then uh, all of a sudden the diversity uh, started to kick in as cultural resource management and the environmental regulatory environment created a broader population of archaeologists. And then uh, in the 1990s, I guess, we got into expanding the domain of archaeology from U.S.-based to broader New World perspectives, and now we are into a much more complex uh, constellation of archaeological missions and objectives that uh, we're confronting in the 21st century. And I think as an introductory element and as an introductory perspective to our program, uh, that's, that's a lovely summary of where we're going, and we will be back in our next segment and discuss sort of the realities of the contemporary SAA, its administrative and professional uh, missions when we come back after these few words. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back. This is Joe Schildenrein, and we are discussing uh, the emergence, the development, and the future of the largest archaeological organization in the New World, and, and probably even in the world generally, and that is the Society for American Archaeology. Um, we've been talking with uh, Jeff Altschul, Dr. Jeff Altschul, who is the current president of the organization, and I want to bring into the discussion at this point uh, Toby Brimsek. Toby uh, took over this organization as it was reaching a, a, a position of, uh, for lack of a better word, complexity when archaeologists and their particular uh, venues, the venues in which they practice, started to expand almost exponentially because of the introduction of cultural resource management, its growth and, and uh, its almost exponential growth. And the outreach that North America exhibited and manifested in expanding into um, the into South America and Mesoamerica and incorporating all of New World archaeology into its focal um, into its focal point. Toby, why don't you tell us what the status and situation? of the SAA was in 1996 when you took over. Obviously, it had grown from being a small operation into a much larger one with uh, an infrastructure that needed to be developed. Why don't you tell us about what, what, how you found the organization and what you've done to, uh, to, to really promote the growth that we're seeing right now? Well, when I came in 1996, at that point, there were about 6,100, 6,200 members. In the early 90s, we had seen about 4,600, uh, 4,700 members at around 92 or so. And if you're looking at membership today, we average around 7,000 members. Um, what grew was the society as an organization, and it began to mature. Um, a few years before I had come, the organization had an executive director for a couple of years. Prior to that, there had been a management firm, and the staff had just started to grow. The staff had just started to reform. So we have a total of nine staff at this point, some of whom are part-time. At that time, there were a few fewer staff. Um, what has changed over time is sort of the pairing of staff and programs to match the needs of the membership. Basically, the board sets the direction and the trends, the priorities, the program development, and what I try and do is provide the staff to support those things. And those initiatives, uh, how do they develop and how has the direction of the organization changed in, in your tenure? Basically, it is a change of growth, maturation, development, expansion, and taking on new challenges. Um, 
2013, the year we're in right now, is a year where we're looking at incredible growth in the sense of the kinds of new products and services that we're going to be introducing. Um, Jeff had mentioned the fact that Latin American Antiquity, one of our journals, was introduced uh, in the early 90s. American Antiquity had been around since 1935. Well, in 2013, we're launching a new digital-only journal called Advances in Archaeological Practice. Um, in addition, we're launching an online seminar series this fall, some of which will be free, some of which will be fee-based. The free ones will be a member benefit. Um, and a third project, uh, which is launching this year as well, is current research online. So program development has been a very, very important part of these last number of years, as has been the attention to the growth and expansion of the membership and the sensitivity that we are in a very global environment and SAA's international membership has been expanding as well and we have members from over 60 countries. Yeah, that's a that's a point I think we'd like to explore at greater detail. Jeff, if you would, give us a little bit of a perspective on how the composition of the membership has changed and, and what the trends are in who belongs to the SAA and what the general thrust of, uh, of the SAA's mission is once it's effectively changing from being largely a, a pure academic type of operation into one that is involved with the cultural resource management community with Latin American issues and with uh, public outreach? Well, let's start with how many archaeologists there are. And uh, although we don't have very good numbers, we don't have a census, we can say basically that there are around, somewhere around 15,000 or so archaeologists or people who make their living in cultural resource management. That includes also architect historians and a whole historians, anthropologists, and a whole array of people uh, involved in historic preservation. But a large number, and I would say probably the majority of those, are archaeologists. Um, we then have an infrastructure of government archaeologists of around, I think it's somewhere around 4,000 to 4,500 that work at different agencies and, and so on and so forth. And then we have, you know, say around 2,500 academics. So somewhere around between 20,000 and 25,000 people in the United States make their living doing something around archaeology. Uh, we recently did a survey, or the Committee on the Americas of the SAA did a survey, just a quick and dirty survey of Latin America, and the estimates there are of about 6,000 people working in archaeology, 80 to 90 percent of those, Joe, work in cultural resource management. And then around the world, it, it's um, the numbers are, are I'm not as well versed on in Asia. Uh, Europe has a number of very strong studies that demonstrate that they have mm, somewhere slightly lower numbers, but equivalent to the United States if you look at Europe as a whole. Um, so it's a you know there are a fair number of folks of which we reach say seven thousand or so, and uh, 
you know, her probably when you look at the issue of who should be members, who, you know, that's really the thrust of some of our problems right now and I, uh, or challenges. We, as you point out, have been largely academic. You read the journals. They are uh, some of the most prestigious journals in, in archaeology worldwide. Right. Um, but, you know, for people like myself and other consultants, they don't actually, you know, those are not necessarily what we need to do our job day to day. And that's behind these new initiatives that Toby talked about. The new journal is focused on those in applied archaeology. The uh, seminars online will be for all members, but a large thrust of them will be on short courses that people in the field need now. And uh, current research online, I mean, if you deal in the, well, and anyone in archaeology needs to know what's been found, where it's been found, (laughs) and who found it, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the time. We need to have that information, up-to-date information, as soon as we can. Toby, let me let me get a, a perspective from you because from what Jeff is saying, and, and I don't think that there's much argument about this point. You know, within uh, within the past certainly twenty or thirty years, the dominant influence and uh, of the of the uh, academic uh, component of the SAA has changed somewhat. But right now, based on the numbers, uh, from what Jeff is saying, uh, basically only 10% of the archaeologists in North America and Latin America and probably even the world, only 10% are academics. Now, you came in in a period when um, the academic influence was still sort of very, very strong. And it has had to, by dint of the numbers, it has had to become more diverse. How did you find uh, the process of making that change and of, of broadening the reach of of SAA, both in terms of what it does and how it does it. How did you find that? Was it a difficult process? How are we doing with it? And and how are we appealing to a broader base of archaeologists that now reflects a population um, that is starkly different from what what it was uh, when you came in and, and before that? Well, the first point is that we do want to appeal to the broader base and that we recognize that the broader base exists. But we look at every segment of our membership as we develop programs and services and make sure that there is a base for them. So it is an expansion, as you pointed out. It gave SAA the opportunity to expand its programs to meet the needs of the diverse population that, became, that have become members of the society. And and how are we addressing the, uh, the the issue? I mean, there's so many different issues right now. And Jeff, you might want to talk about that. I mean, the SAA is sort of a meeting place for archaeologists, uh, archaeologists of all, all stripes. And and as we've talked about, there is these educate. There are some educational initiatives. And I think and you and I have talked about this in the past. The need to not only um, make uh, address this diversity, but to deal with educational initiatives that allow students in particular. Particular, and I'd like to talk about the students a little bit to uh, to sort of 
ease their way into the applied archaeological universe and how is the SAA helping students to facilitate facilitate that transition and are are you um, involved in any initiatives that are, are sort of bringing the stark realities of archaeological employment into the picture because as this organization you are the primary uh, sort of the head head organization of our profession in North America how are you making that transition and how are you delivering that message uh, to the to the broader archaeological community and certainly the students well it's a great question and I think they're one of the interesting things that I've always found about the SAA is that almost half the membership shows up at the annual meeting you know we, we let's say we have 6,000 people we routinely have more than 3,000, almost 4,000 people come to the annual meeting. A lot of those are students, and it is still viewed, even when I was a student, it was the place to go, both to hear and to be heard, and to network um, for your career. And I think it still basically serves that same function. Um, and we have lots of opportunities at the annual meeting in terms of what we call, you know, one of the things is what we call a CRM expo, where companies from all over the country come and try to both, you know, show people what they do and solicit uh, and, you know, compete for the best uh, young talent, young people going into archaeology um, that's available. And I think students more and more recognize that um, in, to, to get ahead, it's, it's very important for them to be involved in the profession. The other thing that we, recognizing that, Joe, one of the things we do, we have 40, I think we have between interest groups and committees, we have 50 you know, things or, or, or groups that you can join or be part of. All our committees, I believe, have student slots, um, with the exception of, of deal, some dealing with finances of the company. But every other committee, the Public Education Committee, the Government Affairs Committee, everybody has a, a slot so that students get involved early in the governance and in, in the workings of American archaeology. Um, we have special days called, you know, student day, where people are allowed to come to the meeting and uh, have special programs designed to help both people in, you know, young student, graduate students who are there, but mostly high school students, um, and other people, just just the public who may be interested in, you know, what is archaeology? What does archaeology do? So we are we have a number of things, but I, I think that the other one big one, while I think about it, is the curriculum. You know, one of the greatest challenges uh, is trying to figure out what does an archaeologist need now when they are trained. It's not we're enough, we're going to have to take a break here. Um, we'll come back, Jeff. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, we will fine. come back and discuss the meeting because I think the meeting is one of the most important components of the SAA, and we'll be doing that after we return uh, very shortly. 
We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Listen for MD Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel. That's Muscular Development Radio. Every Monday, your host, Sean Ray, will take you inside the world of bodybuilding and health and fitness. The show will feature Hall of Fame bodybuilders, trainers, judges, and the future champions of tomorrow. Plus, you'll be invited to participate in our call-in Ask the Pros feature. And our nutritional spotlight will feature products that can help you achieve your fitness goals. MD Radio is broadcast live Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein back again on our special uh, discussion with... Uh, Jeff Altschul, the president of the Society of, Arche- of American Archaeology, and Toby Brimsek. Again, this is another installment on our series of archaeological organizations. And I would alert the listeners to the fact that this organization, certainly for New World archaeologists and, and possibly on the world sphere as well, this is very possibly the most influential archaeological organization. Again, here in the New World for sure, and has a tremendous role to play in world archaeology as well. We are talking about the unique elements of the SAA, and we're focusing right now on the conference itself. It's a four- to five-day conference that is held annually, and I'd like to get Toby Brimsek's perspective on the changing evolution of the conference since she's been involved with it over 17 years. Uh, Toby, give me a bird's-eye perspective 
on how you see the conference changing and and what the dynamics are of these conferences as as time goes on and 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 how the venue has has altered and what kind of services are being offered and what we're giving especially to the students as as the conferences sort of evolve and take on a new perspective well conference um Sites are selected about five years in advance to give a perspective on the planning process. It's a very long one. So changes to the conference are relatively slow versus changes to other aspects in SAA because of the cycle. When contracts are signed and spaces committed, et cetera, that makes making huge changes a bit different and difficult. Um, but over the course of time, the basic structure of the meeting has not changed significantly. However, the number of concurrent sessions has certainly grown. In addition, the types of sessions, um, new types have been offered. Um, there has been an insertion of a, a question and answer session based on the number of participants in a particular session because the board is always seeking ways to add more participation to any meeting session. The meetings have grown um, fairly dramatically. Um, while our membership uh, surveys indicate that people don't come to a meeting based on where it is geographically located, there are some aspects of geography that appear to be more appealing than others. Um, we do rotate the meeting throughout the United States, also Canada. Um, we certainly would consider other places um, depending on various and sundry factors as well. What has changed is also that we no longer provide a printed abstract book, which when I came, not only was a printed book, but you had to buy separately. Now all of the abstracts for the meeting are available openly on the website about a month before the meeting. And on site, we have abstract viewing centers so that people can look things up had they not done so before coming to the meeting. And in the future, we hope to have uh, more of a mobile app that we'll be working on that um, sometime down the road will be available as well. We've certainly gotten rid of some things like the message center, where um, given the advent of cell phones and those sorts of things, there, there are things related to the meeting that just were not modern any longer. We also have a robust volunteer program. Um, many students participate in that because volunteering and giving us eight hours um, to help us run the meeting to be a session attendant or whatever, that we then provide registration. And so we have folks beyond students who do that as well, and it's a great way of getting to the meeting. But the guts of the meeting has remained remarkably consistent. Um, right. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you, uh, you have introduced also a new venue uh, for uh, Latin American archaeologists, the Conferencia, and why don't you tell us a little bit about how that got started and how you developed a focus on uh, Me Mexico and southward 
based on uh, what the motivations are and, and, and how that interest is now being cultivated? Certainly. We had talked about the development of membership throughout Latin America already, and we find that it is, and we've certainly gotten comments to the effect that it's it's more difficult sometimes for Latin Americans, especially those in far-flung places, to get all the way to the states for the annual meeting. So the Conferencia Intercontinental, the Intercontinental Conference, was born. And the whole purpose of this conference and our mantra with this conference is bringing SAA to Latin America. We launched this conference for the first time in 2012 in Panama City, and it is a small conference um, that will always have a controlled number of attendees because it's a very different kind of thing. It's a conference uh, during, uh, for which there are themes selected and papers are submitted and then judged on those themes, etc. But as opposed to hundreds of offerings, for example, in Panama City, there were 36. Um, and there were a few posters, and then the rest were oral presentations. The first conferencia got wonderful reviews. It was a very close-knit group. They really enjoyed the intimacy of the conference. And the board has decided to continue that conference, um, presumably on an every other year um, schedule, but that'll be determined at the close of each one. And the next conferencia is scheduled for 2014 in August in Lima, Peru. The themes and call have not yet been developed, but those will be coming out in the next couple of months. Now, how many attendees do you normally get, and are, are they coming from all over Latin America, Mexico, and South America, as well as the Caribbean? Where, where are the attendees coming from, and how many are there? They were coming from all over. In Panama, it was just over 100. We, um, we learned some interesting lessons from the first um, Intercontinental Conference. The reason Panama was, uh, was selected was because it was a very central location. Well, in addition to the central location, Panama wasn't particularly or necessarily convenient either. And so what we, we did for the second conference was to select a country that also has a relatively high uh, number of archaeologists so that there's a great deal of local support for the conference as well. In Panama, the number of archaeologists is relatively small, and most of them did attend. But again, choosing a country where there was a much higher archaeological community uh, in terms of numbers is going to be um, important in terms of the success of the conference. But we did get folks, and it was not a majority from the U.S., um, we probably got about 20 some odd people from the U.S., and the rest were from countries throughout Central and South America uh, for the first one. And I'm guessing most of the U.S. attendees were people who had either research interests or other uh, associations with Latin America and um, the Southern Hemisphere uh, research. Is that correct? That is correct. And the, and the one thing I should tell you is that the conferencia is delivered completely in Spanish. And 
and it is advertised in Spanish. Um, we only um, had a joint English-Spanish ad on the first one so that we could let all of our members become aware of what it was that we were doing. But then any additional information, the call, submission to the meeting, everything was done completely in Spanish. Uh-huh. Let me ask you this, both of you. Uh, what about the international appeal of the SAA in the terms of the conferences? Uh, let's start with the conferences. What uh, proportion of the attendees are international, coming from overseas, Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia? Toby? It depends on it, it, yes. It depends on where the conference is being held. For example, um, our conference this year in Hawaii drew very heavily um, from all over the world, and certainly there was a larger attendance from Southeast and Eastern Asia than we have ever seen. When we go to a place like Vancouver, we also tend to draw very heavily from the Pacific Rim. Um, Again, it depends on the accessibility and what is going on at that particular conference. But there are certain locations like those that I've named that tend to draw more international visitors. I was going to ask you another question, and, and this is something that has been a concern of mine. I mean, there are obviously very many appealing locations like Puerto Rico and um, Las Vegas and unusual venues like that for places that are known more for recreation. Do you see a, a an influx, an increase in participation? And do you think that the venue is, I won't say necessarily compromised, but that the attendance to the actual con to the meetings is to the uh, actual lectures is a little lower because people want to take advantage of the venue? Or don't we know anything about that? I mean, those are wonderful places to go. And I'm just wondering if the flavor of the conferences is any different in those places. We actually don't have any data on, on that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the meeting marketplace is a very cyclical one. You know, there's a buyer's market and there's a seller's market. And that influences greatly where we are able to go. Some of the more unique destinations like Puerto Rico or Hawaii or even San Francisco for us came up because of economic circumstances that allow right. us to do those sorts of meetings. They're sort mm -hmm. of one-time opportunities that we have taken advantage of. If you look at our member surveys that we do all the time, again, uh, our members indicate on those surveys that the actual site destination is not necessarily the determining factor in whether or not they will attend that particular meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, we will get back and discuss uh, additional issues in in the SAA's projected uh, goals when we come back after these words, and we will be back shortly. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris. Real talk on business and parenthood 
Hosted by Chris Efesiu. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Good afternoon. This is Joe Schildenrein continuing our program on major archaeological organizations. And today's focus, of course, is the Society for American Archaeology. Uh, our guests are Toby Brimsek, who is the executive director of the organization and has been in that capacity for 17 years, and Jeff Alchel, who is the current president of the SAA. Uh, Jeff, given that this is such a major organization and uh, some way may argue that it is a driving force force in the uh, general vectors and directives of the uh, directions of the profession how do you see uh, archaeology changing in the broader sense and how do you see the SAA fitting into and shaping the direction of those changes well I think the uh, most important thing is the globalization of archaeology I think one of the you know when we say the SAA and we say you know, America, what we mean is Americanist. We are interested both in the archaeology of the Americas, but we're also interested in wherever basically U.S.-based archaeologists, wherever our members are interested in work. And that pretty much covers the globe. And we have, I should, you know, we have members in the SAA from, I believe, more than 60 countries all over the uh, uh, planet. So it's um, there's very there's very few places we're not interested in, and that is you know one of the things that we are currently very focused on is uh, trying to find value for our members that are not in the United States. Um, and so for many years we've had a government affairs committee. And it was focused very heavily on U.S. legislation. Last year, we formed a international government affairs committee uh, that's composed of members all around uh, the world. And it is focused on government uh, archaeology, archaeology basically everywhere but the United States. So... Uh, we are interested in conventions. We are interested in the issue of, of antiquities trade, in looting, in warfare, in uh, how to make sure that um, 
uh, economic development in the developing countries allows locals to take care of their heritage. So those are some of the big issues that we are looking at. Um, some of the other things are more, I would say, uh, as I look at the at, around what are the issues, one of the major issues that confronts archaeology is the issue of what we call the curation crisis. What do we do with stuff? Um, our museums are chock full to the brim with artifacts. We have... Um, we are amassing a huge database that is solely digital, which um, we don't archive at the moment, or, or we're, we're confronting how do we do that. And the SAA wants to be, or it wants to be in leadership roles as uh, are the United States Congress and uh, uh, basically government bodies all over the world wrestle with those issues. Um, another big issue is the relationship of archaeology with descendant communities. Uh, we, you know, we started out saying this was an academic institution in which, you know, frankly, it, it, it comes from a Western European background in which uh, archaeologists decided what to study. They got funding for it. They studied it pretty much um, without consulting locals about what they thought was important. Well, those days are over, and uh, we need to be responsive. We need to be socially responsible in, in our work. And so uh, being a, a forum for dialogue between descendant communities and archaeologists, that is the main thrust of the SAA. What about issues uh, up and coming international cooperation? You had, uh, I know you've been active in, in energy development issues and archaeology is interfacing with the energy industry and to some degree with, uh, with climate, con uh, the climate change issues. Can you talk about that a little bit as well? Well, certainly. I think climate change uh, is a huge issue confronting you know, everybody on the planet. In terms of archaeology, there are huge, both the projections for sea level rise will impact huge and very important heritage sites all around the world. Desertification will have tremendous effects. Natural erosion on archaeological sites will uh, will be important both to monitor but also to mitigate to some extent. How can we stop the, uh, the erosion or the, the deterioration of archaeological sites. Then we have the whole issue of heritage tourism. You know, we're loving our archaeological sites to death. Um, can we balance? Can we actually balance uh, allowing people access to uh, heritage places, historic places, at the same time make sure that those things are conserved? So um, all of those issues. And, and then, of course, the issue of warfare is uh, on top of that. We have conflicts all over the world. Uh, Syria is a big issue right now. It's a country rich in archaeological sites. Um, the SAA and others are working hard to um, 
do our best. I think that's the best way to say it. I, I'm not sure how effective we can be, but it's more effective if we can get into areas prior to conflict and get agreements on what's going to happen, what is important, what do the locals want to protect. Those are dialogues we have to have. So, uh, Toby, let me ask you this. We only have a couple of minutes left. How do you, how do you, how are you planning for future directions in the SAA? And do you have any projections on how the organization is going to grow? And do you have any longer term plans as to uh, how to sort of direct the growth of the organization uh, as a result of some of the issues Jeff, Jeff has discussed? And just in terms of, of uh, the number of archaeologists that we see sort of coming out of our schools and universities going forward? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, the growth of the organization and how it gets there is a partnership between the board and the staff. Um, we have seen what we do is look at the potential opportunities and try and see how those will best integrate with SAA. Um, we have very, the, the kinds of initiatives that we're undertaking now, whether they're specialized conferences, whether they're student day, whether they're online seminars, um, we are reaching out to all aspects of the field and the Intercontinental Conference is another outreach to, uh, in, a, in a geographic way, of another aspect of the field. And it is likely um, we may consider additional um, specialized joint meetings um, that may be in conjunction with other organizations. Um, we need to grow the field stronger. SAA needs to reflect the field at all times. And we are here to meet the needs of our members. Um, it was a past president who said, what is SAA? SAA is all of our members. That's what, It's not this thing. It's not this entity. It is the voice of our members. And on that note, I'm uh, sorry to say we're going to have to close today's episode. I'm very, very appreciative of the efforts of Jeff Alchul, uh, uh, present president of the SAA, and Toby Brimsek, the long-serving executive director of the organization. And you will certainly be hearing from the SAA about the SAA going forward if you are at all interested in where this profession is heading. And until we see you next time, this is Joe Schildenrein signing off, and see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.